the persecution of Donald Trump. Now, for the last couple of weeks, I've kind of been hitting Tucker Carlson for his obviously absurd reports from Moscow. And my general point has been that just because we're bad doesn't mean Russia's not worse. It is worse. But the reverse is also true, that just because Russia is worse doesn't mean we're not bad. We are. And I think that the stuff that Tucker Carlson has said about that is very true. So today I'm going to be talking about something. I'm going to be talking about the news, obviously, all the stuff that's going on. But I, it's, I'm going to take it from a sort of personal point of view, not from my personal point of view, but personal to all of us, which is I want to talk about how to remain joyful and creative and centered and calm in the midst of rocky times, because we are heading into rocky times. We're already in, in rocky times. And as the election approaches, we can guarantee that this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough on all of us. And let me remind you of two things. One is that human history has times like this. It's not as bad as it's been other places, but it's there are good times and there are bad times, just like in your life. And if you are going to, if your state of being is going to depend upon what is happening outside of yourself, if your heart is completely at the mercy of events, you've given away your greatest power, which is the power to live as you please and in your best possible way so that you respect yourself and the people around you get strength from you instead of just running around in panic. The second thing I want to remind you of is that everybody dies. And, you know, at my age, it could be during the show, but for the rest of you, it will happen eventually, which means you don't want to spend your brief time on earth being miserable because you pass through some of the bad times as well as some of the good times. So let's get started with chapter one, the locusts of corruption. So just as I was finishing the show last week, word came in of this insanely corrupt decision against Donald Trump in New York. This biased, I'm just going to remind you in case you're not following it, this biased attorney general in New York, Letitia James, who repeatedly said when she was campaigning that she would go after Trump, basically this idea, show me the man and I'll show you the crime, which is one of the worst abuses of the legal process you can have. She found Trump was committing a very typical New York business practice. And remember, you know, they've been after Donald Trump for anything they can find on him since, uh, you know, the Stone Age when I was a boy. And they've never gotten him on anything. So obviously, he's just not that corrupt. But New York is a corrupt town. It's a town where people do business in a very tough way. And everybody understands that. So they found this typical New York business practice of inflating the values of his property in order to secure loans, which the banks understand and they correct for that. And Trump paid back the loans with interest. The judge clearly, what's his name, Engeron, something, Arthur Engeron, clearly, in my opinion, just completely ideological, uh, ideologically corrupt and out for vengeance and out to bring Trump down, reckless in his misuse of the rule of law, declared Trump guilty even before the trial began, ordered him. And then afterwards, as our show was going off the air, he was convicted and they ordered him to pay an amount that will, it's astronomical, somewhere close to half a billion dollars. Like it'll be $455 billion, a million dollars by the time it's got interest and penalties and all this stuff. And George Washington University legal scholar Jonathan Turley, who's one of the few people who kind of just speaks about the law and really doesn't take a side, he explained why this decision is so absurd. Cut one. Part of the, the disconnect here is that you have what will be over $455 million 
uh, if you include interest. And then on the other side of the ledger, you have zero. There's not a single dollar mm -hmm. lost by these victims. In fact, the people that James calls the victims actually wanted to do more business with Donald Trump. They said they made a lot of money and they viewed him as a whale client. They wanted more loans with him. See, this is the thing. I know New York really well. I lived there a long time. This is the way business is done in New York. New York law says that Trump can't appeal this unless he deposits the money with interest in a bank. So it's like half a billion dollars in bail, $455 million in bail plus. So the judge, this Arthur Engron guy, who really does seem to me, I, obviously it's only my opinion, but he seems to me to be really uh, ideologically bad guy. The judge barred Trump from taking loans in New York. So obviously there's an obvious attempt to keep this case alive throughout the election, make him look really bad, make it hard for him to spend money. It's, he's made it hard for him to do business in New York. Trump's hot lawyer, because Trump only works with hot women, uh, Alina Hubba Hubba Hubba, is defiant. This is what she said. What they're trying to do between this case, between my last case, is put him out of business. It's not going to work, number one. Number two, what they're doing is a scare tactic. Unfortunately, they picked the wrong guy to pick on, in my opinion, because he's strong, he's resilient, and he happens to have a lot of cash. <laughs> Don't you miss the pre-feminist days when people could make jokes like Alina Hubba Hubba Hubba? That, nobody does that anymore. It's, uh, that would just be, it would be terrible. People would be condemned for doing it. So I, I, for instance, would never make that joke. Now, here's Trump's statement outside the court. If I weren't running, none of this stuff would have ever happened. None of these lawsuits would have ever happened. Nothing would. I would have had a nice life. But I enjoy this life for a different reason. We're going to make America great again. These are corrupt people. These are people that shouldn't be allowed to do the things they do. And they're using this as weaponization against a political opponent who's up a lot in the polls and always will be because I'm competing with a man who can't put two sentences together, who doesn't know what he's doing. And we're heading into a third world war because of this guy. You know, when I saw this clip, I was watching the speech he made, and I, I thought back to January 6th, and I hit Trump pretty hard on January 6th. I really, I wasn't on the air until a couple of weeks later. And I talked about the fact that he had made himself look like exactly what the Democrats accused him of being, which is bad politics, right? I'm, I'm a practical person. I believe one of the things about politics is you have to win. And he made it harder on himself to win because he handed this PR triumph into the hands of the Democrats who've been running with it ever since. They've, oh my God, it's an insurrection. It's a revolution, the worst thing since the Civil War. Obviously, all that is garbage, but still, he put himself in the position where they could do that. But here now, the Democrats have revealed themselves to be exactly what he says they are. And it's, it, and that's even worse because Trump only looked like what he said, that, what they said he is, but they actually have become the authoritarian, dictatorial, third world kind of banana republic criminals and tyrants that we have always called them. And they are actually what the right wing, you know, fever swamp calls the Democrats. They actually are. You know, businesses in New York are now rightly thinking, oh, my God, a dirty judge could take my business away to punish me for my political views. And they're absolutely right. The governor, Hochul, is saying, oh, no, this is an exception. This is an exception. If you're law-abiding and follow the rules, you won't be hit. But nobody in New York is law-abiding and follow the rules. That's not how big cities work. So obviously, they're all in danger now. And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't blame any of them for going out and doing business in Florida where they're not going to have this problem. Now, it would be hard for Trump to overstate the wickedness of what New York did. But of course, he did because he's Donald Trump. 
Trump. He put out a truth social post after Putin murdered the opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, in prison. And Trump said this, the sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country. It is a slow, steady progression with crooked, radical left politicians, prosecutors, and judges leading us down a path to destruction, open borders, rigged elections, and grossly unfair courtroom decisions are, all caps, destroying America. We are a nation in decline, a failing nation, MAGA 2024. Now, the left is making fun of this statement because it's typical Trump hyperbole, but he's not wrong. He's not incorrect. Obviously, Trump is not Navalny, and this is not an assassination. He hasn't been murdered in prison, but the principles are the same. I mean, if if I spew hatred at Jewish people and cheer on Hamas, I don't know American would ever do that, but that doesn't make me Hitler. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't started a world war, but it's the principle is in there, right? It is, I am following Hitlerian principles. It's morally abhorrent. It is morally abhorrent to hate people because of their grandfather's DNA, which Hitler did, or the color of their skin. And, you know, people are made in the image of God. You don't hate them for their, for their race. So there, you're not Hitler, of course, if you say these things, but if you spew hatred at people, you are. And if you are taking your, the opposition and abusing the rule of law, so now we can't, you know, respect the rule of law in America, you are undermining this country and being reckless about this country. You know, you don't have to cozy up to a dictator like Putin in order to say, hey, something is wrong in America. And, and you know, the thing about Putin that makes him so, the, the thing about Biden that makes him so bad is Biden is threatening something. And he really is threatening it with his uh, incredibly politicized uh, Justice Department and the stuff that they're doing in states with the rule of law that Letitia James is doing, that they're doing in Georgia. All of this stuff is threatening something so much greater than Russia has ever had. America was was and remains one of the greatest, possibly the greatest political idea in the history of the world. And they are threatening it because they want power. They want more power. And I've explained this before, that what, what is happening to the Democrats is that during the 60s and 70s, they had... Um, they installed welfare systems and civil rights laws that have not done what they said they were going to do. They said they were going to make us all equal and everything was going to be fair. They haven't done that. But at the same time, they have enriched the Democrats and a lot of politicians by giving them power and giving them control over all those tax dollars. And so every time you say this is not working, they call you a racist and they ramp that up. And since it's getting worse and worse and worse, and now we see, you know, the high crime in black neighborhoods and dysfunction in black neighborhoods and illegitimate children in black neighborhoods. And we see that and they haven't done anything. In fact, they've made it worse because of their welfare and because of feminism and things telling people they didn't need to get married. They've made things worse. So now they've just abandoned even like these pretense. And what they say is, well, we're just going to hire black people. We're not going to hire white people. We're going to call white people bad people, and we're going to be as racist as they were in reverse, and that's going to help because when you're racist in reverse, that fixes the old racism. And, and you know, they're just now basically have become the thing that they said that they were going to fix in order to hide the fact that this fountain of tax dollars being poured in to their welfare programs and this fountain of power that they've got through civil rights law and its abuse by trial lawyers, all of those things won't go away because they're going to fix everything and the black people will keep voting for them because they're being given jobs they are not qualified for because they haven't gotten an education because they were locked out of their schools. My point is, though, that you don't have to you don't have to feel that Tucker Carlson is right or that Putin is a good guy to understand that something is terribly wrong in this moment in America. That is a, you know, a, 
right to feel. You're not, it's not uh, some crazy right winger telling you everything is a conspiracy and you have to be miserable. You're right to be upset. You're right to be angry. My point is just this. Even though these things are true, even though it is a difficult time, you only have one life. And it is not at the point where people are kicking down your door. It's not at the point where people are shooting you or carrying you off to prison. It, it, we don't want to exaggerate that. We want to exactly focus on what's going on and not let our minds be poisoned by their minds. And that brings me to chapter two, full court press. Now, the reason I called this chapter full court press is because our press is a court press the way a jester is a court jester. And they serve the powerful, they disdain the people. And that's what's given corrupt Democrats the arrogance to lie and do the things they are doing because they know the media, and it is a corporate media, the corporations and the media will shield them in order to do business with the government, which is very profitable to corporations. Just to give you an example of this, I want to play my favorite clip this week. In some ways, this is apropos of nothing, but it's so perfect illustrates who our press is, even though it took place on MSNBC. And I try not to pick on MSNBC because they're openly left wing, but this was just too good to let go. This is a woman from Politico who has a name that's all consonants, like that little elfin villain, Mr. Mixapoltillic in Superman comics. Her name is Heidi Prisibla, Heidi Prisibla. And she's explaining the evil, how evil Christian nationalists, this is their new scare tactic. We used to be MAGA extremists, far right people. This is people who don't want their children raped. You know, you're far right. That's far right if you're not to want your children raped. You know, people who uh, believe in the Constitution, you're a MAGA extremist. Now we're Christian nationalists. This is people who believe in God and are patriots. And she's explaining what it is that makes Christian nationalists especially dangerous on MSNBC. This is cut 18. The one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, Mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. (laughs) I love I love the smug look on her face as she expertly delivers this. And by the way, sitting next to her is Michael Steele, who's a very smart man. And he knows he knows he's nodding his head. He knows exactly what crap he's listening to, because, of course, it says in our founding documents, we are endowed by our creator who actually is not Universal Studios. It actually is the living God. We are endowed by our creator with our rights. So she is, you know, this kind of smug idiot spreading this thing. And I guess everybody on MSNBC going, you know, rights from God. What a horrible thing. So this is part of what makes us feel bad. We are surrounded. And, you know, the media is like now. It used to be you went home, you turned on the TV, there were three channels and they were kind of in slightly left of center agreement, but the audience was right of center, so they had to play to them. Now we are just surrounded by this like a cloud, and it makes you feel bad because you are being treated badly. You're being told your country stinks. You're being told your religion stinks. It's not all Christians. It's just Christians who believe their rights come from God, which is all Americans. You know, all Americans have to believe their rights come from God, whether they believe it or not. They have to accept that as a premise of the country because it means that there is something higher than the government, which isn't supposed to be going well. So here, let's, I want to take a look at some of the corruption of the press and just that this is some of the stuff that enhances your lousy feelings about what's happening in America. And I, and I think it's important because I think on too many conservative shows, and I consider myself a conservative, 
on, on too many conservative shows, they want you to feel that bad, bad thing. It's like a drug. They want you to be addicted to that. And I'm just explaining to this so I can talk against it. This week, Anthony Bobulinski, the former business associate of Hunter Biden, testified before the House Oversight Committee. You may not have heard that, but he did. We're going to just give you a quick transcript of something he said. He said, for nearly four years, I've tried to tell the American people the truth about serious corruption at the very top of their government. In return, I have been falsely accused of being a purveyor of Russian disinformation, a political surrogate. My continuous efforts to inform the American people of the facts have been actively suppressed by both the United States government and the so-called mainstream media. I want to be crystal clear from my direct personal experience and what I have subsequently come to learn. It is clear to me that Joe Biden was the brand being sold by the Biden family, his family's foreign influence peddling operation from China to Ukraine and elsewhere, sold out to foreign actors who were seeking to gain influence and access to Joe Biden and the United States government. Joe Biden was more than a participant in and beneficiary of his family's business. He was an enabler despite being buffered by a complex scheme to maintain plausible deniability. And if you listen to the show, you know all about the phone calls he would make and the visits he would do. Now, Bobolinsky is incredibly plausible and an eyewitness. He was there at some of these meetings. But if people haven't heard of him, it's because the only person who gave him a full and solid hearing is Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson is the guy who had him on, I think, for maybe two days running or at least an entire show. So if I'm right and Tucker Carlson is doing something wrong with his Putin cheering and his Andrew Tate cheering and his nonsense UFO and conspiracy stuff, how bad is NBC and CBS and ABC and the New York Times and the Washington Post that Tucker scooped them on this and covered it when they really didn't. And, you know, I, I understand it would feel much better. It would make me more popular if I could say to you, well, the news people are bad, but Tucker is great. But that's not the way I feel. That's not what I'm seeing with my eyes. What I'm seeing is that everybody, everybody is surrounding you with things that you know in your heart are untrue. And that is a terrible, terrible feeling, except for me, because I'm on a mission from God. But this is this is happening so openly that you, you can't help but see it. Remember, I told you, I think it was last week, that Catherine Herridge, excellent reporter who worked for CBS, who was homing in on some stories that the Biden regime didn't like because she had some good stuff about Hunter and, and about uh, Biden's corruption. She was fired in the midst of other layoffs. And people noticed it because she is a great reporter. She's the last reporter you follow. But this is the same network that uh, fired Cheryl Atkinson or forced her out for covering Obama's corruption. And now something even worse has happened. The network grabbed Herridge's personal notes, which could endanger some sources she's trying to protect from the government and informed her that it would decide what, if anything, would be turned over to her. And SAG and AFTRA, which are far left unions, are absolutely condemning uh, them for this. And and, and this is like the dishonesty that is now pervasive. And now, even worse of all, it's becoming mechanized with AI. And this is this is maybe the worst story I'm going to tell you today. Google, whose slogan, I believe, is be evil. It used to be something else, but they crossed out one of the words. I can't remember, but it's be evil. They've unleashed their new AI, which is called Gemini. And it's instructed to take your requests and make sure that you are schooled in its replies, with its racially diverse replies. In other words, it will not give you what you ask it for. It will give you what you ask it for as it should be. So if you tell it to give you a picture of George Washington, you get something like this, where George Washington is a black guy, as we all know, of course, he was. And and Google says, 
has paused it, has paused the AI because they were called out in so many things. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You ask it for a picture of the Pope, it gives you a black Pope. There's never been a black Pope. You ask for a hockey player, it gives you a female hockey player, which is hilarious. Google says, we're trying to correct it. It says, Gemini's, Gemini's AI image generation does generate generate a wide range of people. And that's generally a good thing because people around the world use it, but it's missing the mark here. This is from Jack Krawizic. Everybody, this is they're all Mr. Mixoplatilic. They all have consonants in their names. He's the senior director for Gemini Experiences, but he's full of it because this is the same guy who once tweeted, white privilege is effing real. Don't be an a-hole and act guilty about it. You should act guilty about it. Do your part in recognizing bias at all levels of egregious. Now, remember, this bias that is at all levels of egregious is simply the failure of their programs. That's what it is. It's not bias at all levels. People are perfectly welcoming now. I think, you know, black people, people want black people to come and work with their firms because of all the lawsuits. So they're perfectly welcoming and This is just a way of protecting this mountain of money that they get from great society programs, great society and following programs. So this guy is full of it. Here is Jen Jenai, who works on Gemini. Uh, She has some her her um, title is something like expert in responsible innovation and AI ethics because we're living in George Orwell. Here is what she said about putting together a diverse staff. Cut 16. I treated every member of my team the same and expected that that would lead to equally good outcomes for everyone. That was not true. I got some feedback that a couple of members of my team didn't feel they belonged because there was no one who looked like them in the broader org or our management team. It was a wake up call for me. First, I shouldn't have had to wait to be told what was missing. It was on me to ensure I was building an environment that made people feel they belong. It's a myth that you're not unfair unfair if you treat everyone the same. So first they hide this thing. They don't tell you that it's going to make George Washington black. Then they get called out for it and they say, we're pausing it. We're going to fix it. But they're lying because the lie is not that George Washington was black. That's just a stupid falsehood. The lie is DEI. The lie is that you should treat people unfairly, as this lady says, because you can fix bigotry in the past by being bigoted in the present, which is absurd. The people who suffered the worst indignities in the past are dead, what you are doing now is penalizing innocent people for things that were done by people who are dead, right? And who were living in a culture that was, you know, basically shaping their opinion. DEI is a lie. The efficacy of DEI is a lie. And let me tell you something. Elon Musk and, you know, Bill Gates are not going to be hurt by DEI. Nobody was going to say, I'm sorry, you have to be a black person now. We have to get rid of you and have a black billionaire. No, only working class people, white people are going to be hurt by this because they don't have the power to strike back at these idiots who are only defending their interests, which is the interests of having these programs in place that help trial lawyers, that help Democrat politicians, that bring in all this tax dollars, these tax dollars and make the government bigger and stronger. DEI is a lie because it is racist. Okay. Racism, you know, this is the thing. Racism is a lie. And when you are confronted with racism, it makes you racist too. People often lie about People often tell the truth, which is that there's probably more anti-white racism in the black community than there is anti-black racism in the white community. But yeah, you can understand that. Blacks have been treated badly historically in this country, and you can see how that resentment builds up. That's what happens. Douglas Murray wrote about this in his book, The War on the West. You probably know him from his recent Israel coverage, but he's a terrific writer, good guy, very, very smart. And he was writing about 
this in the book, his book, The War in the West, he said he did not think of himself in racial terms. He did not want to think of other people in racial terms. But if you put him in a corner, if you keep saying to him that whites are no good, that whites are bad, that everything whites did was bad, that everything they did was racist, he is then going to respond. And when he responds, having been backed into this corner, this is what he is going to say. And I'm quoting Douglas now, the good things about being white include being born into a tradition that has given the world a a disproportionate number, if not most, of the things that the world currently benefits from. They include almost every medical advancement that the world now enjoys. They include almost every scientific advancement that the world now benefits from. White people founded most of the world's oldest and longest established educational institutions. They led the world in the invention and promotion of the written word. White Western peoples happen to have also developed all the world's most successful means of commerce, including the free flow of capital. This system of free market capitalism has lifted more than one billion people out of extreme poverty just in the 21st century thus far. It is Western people who developed the principle of representative government of the people, by the people, for the people. It is the Western world that developed the principles and practice of political liberty, of freedom of thought and conscience, of freedom of speech and expression. It evolved the principles of what we now call civil rights, rights that do not exist in much of the world. All this is before you even get into the cultural achievements that the West has gifted the world. Now, white people would be justified in saying that confronted with bigotry. And that's where I don't want to live. I do not want to live in this place. First of all, I don't believe, I believe Europe was the great, in it, at its height, was the greatest culture that mankind has yet seen. I don't believe it was that because the people in it were white. They were all different races. The Spanish were different from the French and the French were different from the English and they're different today. They're different people. But the, the situations historically, climactically, chance-wise, all kinds of different situations went into building this culture. To say, oh yeah, it's because they were white, is stupid. I mean, read some Thomas Sowell. He explains this really brilliantly. But Murray's point here is not that white people are great and everyone else stinks. It's that if you want to play that game, it's going to blow up in your face. And, And this is true of us too. If we get so angry that we retreat into racism because they are treating us in a racist manner, we are going to lose our joy. Because I always tell you, all joy comes from love, but all love depends on truth, right? You love someone for 30 years and then find out she's been cheating on you and laughing behind your back all the time. You didn't love her. You weren't really in love. You were in love with something in your imagination. Same thing is true if you want to be proud of being black, if you want to love your blackness. That's going to fade away. If you want to love your whiteness, it's going to fade away because it's a lie. Gay pride, straight pride, all of these things are a lie because it's a mirage. All of pride in the good sense of the word, not being sinfully proud, but all self-esteem comes from what you do. It comes from who you are. And these liars, these politicians, the media, they're not just hitting you with falsehoods. They're teaching you misery. They're teaching you lovelessness. They're teaching you joylessness. And the minute you become them and say, well, white people gave us most of the good stuff we have, then they're going to, of course, scream that you're the racist, even though you're just reacting to their racism. So my question is this. This is the thing I'm trying to get to. Are we going to learn the lessons they're teaching us? Or are we going to learn the lessons that will keep us steady as we guide this country through a period 
of tumult and change. It's going to be tough. It's going to, the waters are going to rise. There's just no question about it. The darkness is going to come. We're going to be moving through shadow in rough water. But who are we going to be when we go into that water? And who are we going to be when we come out the other side? And there are already signs that we will come out the other side. Are you a few years or decades out of school and wondering, what did I even learn or what was the point? You might even think, I don't have the time to learn anything new. If that's you, you're not alone. It's not too late. Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses. I love these guys. These are friends of mine. I have taught there. It is a great place. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses. If you're unsure where to start, check out American Citizenship and Its Decline with the great Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and its current threats. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. Start your free American citizenship and its decline course with Victor Davis Hanson today. Go to hillsdale.edu slash Clavin to enroll. No cost, and it's easy to get started. hillsdale.edu slash Clavin to enroll. hillsdale.edu slash Clavin. But before you can learn, you have to learn how to spell Clavin? It's K L A V A N. There are no easy things. Chapter three: Signs of Spring. So, to begin with a sad story, a couple of weeks ago in New York, in a hip hotel called the Soho Fifty Four, a prostitute was beaten to death with a, an iron, beaten and strangled to death. She was a mom. She was working at what they politely call an escort. This is in New York City. Police in Scottsdale, Arizona, spotted a man named Rod Almansuri wearing the woman's distinctive leggings. They questioned him. They found he had allegedly committed a string of crimes against women and attempted carjacking where he allegedly stabbed the woman, a stabbing of a woman in a bathroom. Uh, and he was arrested for assaults in Florida and Texas. And it, he's never been put away for those. But he confessed to the police of some of these crimes and he confessed to the Soho killing. So now New York City wants to extradite him to try him there. This is Maricopa County attorney uh, Rachel this is a county attorney, so she's like the DA. Rachel Mitchell says, no, she's not going to extradite this guy to New York because the DA there is Alvin Bragg, is cut four. Having observed uh, the treatment of violent criminals in the New York area by the Manhattan DA there, Alvin Bragg, I think it's safer to keep him here and keep him in custody so that he cannot be out doing this to individuals. So Bragg, of course, I mean, this is humiliating that a, one sovereign state will not extradite him, extradite a murderer, or an alleged murderer, to another state because that state might let him go. That's what she's afraid of. Everybody knows it's true. He's a George Soros DA. Soros spent $40 million helping to plant 75 of these creeps around the country with the idea that too many people of color were being arrested. There's that racism again, right? It's not a question of what color you are. It's a question of what crime you committed. And we know there's high crime in the black neighborhoods because of Democrat policies, in my humble opinion, but they don't want to get rid of those policies. They cannot admit those policies are bad because of the money they bring in and the power, political power they give them. But according to Matt Palumbo at the New York Post, 
this tide, this Soros tide, is starting to recede. At least uh, 10 of these Soros clowns have either been removed from office or hobbled in some way. Some of these are pretty high profile. Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore was voted out and is awaiting sentencing on fraud and perjury charges. Kim Gardner was forced to resign in St. Louis. Uh, Jesse Boudin, you probably remember, was recalled in San Francisco, of all places. So some of this stuff is beginning to pull back. Harvard, it's New York Times, hilarious uh, story. What was the headline at Harvard? Some wonder what it will stop, what it will take to stop the spiral. A summit of university presidents at, at a summit of university presidents. The talk was about Harvard and its plummeting reputation. Hmm, what will it take to stop the spiral? I wonder what it will take. It, of course, it never occurs to them, never, ever, ever to wonder, oh, maybe we deserve this. Maybe we deserve this. Maybe we shouldn't be teaching. You know, they put out a statement denouncing anti-Semitism after it erupted after October 7th in this disgusting display of support for the butcherers and rapists of Hamas. So suddenly Harvard was, you know, and Claudine Gay, of course, was chased out for she couldn't answer the question whether anti-Semitism was a bad thing or not, basically. But they're not saying, oh, you know what? We're going to fire some of these teachers because they're teaching garbage. This anti-colonialism is garbage. This DEI is garbage. This racism that we're teaching them is garbage. And it always comes down on the Jews because the Jews have suffered more racism historically than anybody. They are number one with a bullet, no pun intended, in the racism department. And yet they thrive. And yet they thrive. How do they do it? They stick to their values. They stick to their families. They stick to education. And they thrive even under all this. And that's why, you know, that's why the left has to hate them, because they disprove everything they say. Same thing going on in the press, right? Press is firing people everywhere. I mean, they're collapsing. The press is, you know, what is a guy, uh, Peter Van Buren in the American conservative said it's an extinction-level event. He says the grimmest news is from the Los Angeles Times, the biggest newspaper outside the East Coast. The paper announced it's cutting 115 people, more than 20% of its newsroom. In June of last year, the Times dropped 74 people. Sports Illustrated is in trouble. The Washington Post, NBC News, ABC News, CNN, NPR, Vox, and BuzzFeed, among others, have shed hundreds of journalists. Vice is shutting down vice.com. I don't know what they're going to do, but they're laying off hundreds of people. Uh, here's a, and, and why is it? Why, you know, I wonder what it is. And they keep saying, oh, well, it's the internet. You know, it's the internet. It's, it's that. It's this. It's that. No, it's not. Here's a montage somebody put out of their headlines. How I rediscovered sexual liberation through fisting. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what it is. Let's take a look. Turn the music down just a little bit. The communist sex workers doing financial domination for praxis, the mechs-fueled week-long orgies ravaging London's gay sex party scene, the far right are uniting around their right to quote-unquote free speech. Ooh, fat phobia exists, and it's especially bad in the bedroom, so vice is gone. That's what they're covering. Disney, (laughs) I kill the sad news. Disney (laughs) just sold part of its distribution arm to Sony, which means layoffs are on their way there because... You know, why? It couldn't be the lies, could it? It couldn't be the lies. You know, uh, Christian, um, wait a minute, Christian Toto at uh, Hollywood in Toto reports uh, an expose from Sonny Bunch, the culture editor at the anti-Trump bulwark, right? And he says, Bunch says, I know there's a long chain of people. It's Christian Toto reporting on Sonny Bunch, who's at the anti-Trump bulwark. Sonny Bunch says he got a DM from a Disney exec. And this is what the Disney exec said. Let's see, let's see if you can find the flaw here. <laughs> this is a Disney exec talking. Everyone says it's the movie's stupid, which is an easy thing for people to say. Why is Disney losing so much money? 
More appealing movies are a great way to jump the political issues, but more and more our audience or the segment of the audience that has been politicized equate the perceived messaging in a film as a quality issue. They won't say they find female empowerment distasteful in the Marvels or Star Wars, but they will say they don't like those movies because they are bad. So make better movies becomes code for make movies that conform to regressive gender stereotypes or put men front and center in the narrative, which is what you're seeing now and what Bob Igar's pivot is about right now. So, so let's start with this. Let's start with this. When they do it, when they stuff their messages into the film, that's not politics. It's only politics when we protest. Like it's only a culture war when we fight back. Otherwise, it's not. But the other thing is this. They're here to entertain us. It's not, you know, what, what are we supposed to think? Oh, I have to go out and prove to Hollywood how righteous I am because we know how righteous they are, right? You know, I, I, hope they'll, I hope they'll stop screwing children for a minute and watch how righteous I am by going to their movies. It's their job to entertain us. And by the way, one of the ways they can entertain us is by learning from our higher morality how they should be instead of telling us from rehab or wherever the hell they are, instead of phoning their fourth wife and saying, you know what, we've got to teach these people how to be moral people because they suck. <laughs> They're terrible people. And this is one of the reasons. And they, they just don't know what's happening. They put out this movie this weekend, I think it was, with three there's a female action picture called Madam Web, Three Lady Spider Girls. So John Nolte, the Noltenator from Breitbart, who I, I just love the guy. He's, and he just he eats this stuff. for You know, he's, this is like cake to him. He writes, when a $100 million movie at another $50 million or so for promotion opens over a six-day holiday weekend to just $26 million domestic and another $26 million overseas, it's over even before it began. The Hollywood Reporter allows a... This is a fairly left-wing trade paper, allows a tiny kernel of truth to sneak into the article. I don't know if women are enough to carry the box office here, one source told The Hollywood Reporter, which adds, adds it has to be a source because they wouldn't be named. Males make up 65% to 70% of the superhero audience in North America. In the case of Madam Web, the percentage of female viewers was only 46%. That's the problem, right? Men don't want to see women beating people up because women don't beat people up in real life. And because part of the sexual dynamic is that men protect women. And that's part of what creates the drama of living and therefore creates the drama of storytelling. The power that women have is very different than the power that men have. And, you know, again, when I complained once that women couldn't win a sword fight in the medieval times, people went nuts because they lie to themselves. They tell them men, women tell themselves, oh, we don't need men. It's the same as when you say, oh, white people, what, what have white people ever done that's good? You know, what have women ever invented? I mean, <laughs> men, if, you, if you're going to play that game, there is a thing that men do, which is invent stuff and build stuff and make stuff in order to protect women and their children. But that's been erased. I mean, I don't know if you saw the last Mission Impossible story. You couldn't tell the difference between the women and the men. It was absolutely sexless because the women are just as tough as the men. So, again, this you have to picture these meetings. You have to think about what these meetings are like. When a guy says, all right, most of the audience for action films and superhero films are male, and they want to see strong men protecting women. Let's not give them that because then we're being, you know, we're telling them that it's okay to be them. We don't want to make entertainment. You know, it costs about, what, 20 bucks to go see a movie now? We don't want 
people to pay $20 to be entertained and told that it's okay to be them. You know, yeah, okay, they built this country. Yeah, you know, they're the backbone of this country. Yeah, they do most of the living and dying and paying taxes in this country. But we don't, but we're Hollywood. We know what's best. We're the people. So, so let's give them movies that they don't want to see. And then when they don't come, we call them names and that will make them come and then they'll be educated. What was, what was the end of that meeting? You know, yes, son, take the rest of the day off. What a great idea, you know. <laughs> get me, get me, you know, some girl on the phone and put her in an outfit and let her beat people up. You do that, Bob Cratchit, before you dot another I. They are living on planet stupid. They're living in that stupidity of pride. They're surrounded. See, the system, the system that I'm talking about, the system of the press, this dishonest press, benefits them in that it antagonizes us and it silences us and it demonizes us. And that's a benefit to them. But it also backfires because it surrounds them with their own opinions. So no one ever says to them, you know what? This idea about making movies that people don't want to see and then insulting them when they don't show up, that's actually a bad idea. I'm sorry, what did you say, Rutherford? I said, I said, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. We're spending, you know, $200 million, $150 million. We want to make that money back. Wait, you interest me strangely. Let me hear more. If you want to make that money back, people have to want to see it. It has to be in keeping with their values because they're the audience. They have, they have the money. We want the money. Huh. Could you write that down? File a report and get back to me. They are living in this stupidity that is caused by the fact that they have built for themselves an ironclad bubble. It's an iron bubble in which they never get to see who they're offending, namely their audience. Now, the plan to save their civil rights structure that uh, feeds trial lawyers by having them sue perfectly innocent people, that destroys the right to associate with anybody you want to, even if you're a bigot, that uh, the, the welfare that has made black people and other poor people de- dependent and has encouraged and subsidized single parent homes, which means increasing crime, which means get more people being put in prison, which means George Soros sitting around saying too many black people are in prison. They do not want that to go away. So all they're going to do is hammer you and hammer you and hammer you with the fact that it's your fault. You're not seeing what you're seeing. You're not who you should be. It's all your fault that their plans failed. Now, does that mean that it's going to work? Of course it means that it's going to collapse. My point is in this chapter, it is collapsing as I'm talking. All of their plans are going down the drain. They're making a a fortune off AI, and AI is going to do a lot of good things, but the AI they're making stinks so badly that it's going to be replaced ultimately by someone smart enough to do it. However, however, all of this is aggravating. It is truly aggravating, and that's what I want to close out with in the final chapter, The Long Good Friday. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable and discreet sexual health treatments all from the comfort of your home. Hims provides access to clinically proven generic alternatives. They're up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple, 100% online, meaning you don't have to endure any uncomfortable doctor visit. Simply go to hymns.com slash Clavin and answer a series of questions on their site. One of their medical providers will determine the right treatment option for you, and if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. Hims doesn't require insurance. You'll pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers 
fibers. So if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash Clavin. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash Clavin for your personalized ED treatment options. Again, that's hymns.com slash Clavin. Again, they spell hymns, H-I-M-S. You know, you're sitting there going, hey, I know how to spell hymns. I don't know how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So this is Lent, and uh, I'm fasting by not going to any Hollywood movies or reading the New York Times. Uh, it's very painful for me, but I'm somehow getting through. But Lent, as you know, ends with Good Friday. It ends with Easter, but Good Friday is the day of the crucifixion. And I, I think about Good Friday a lot, I, not just during Lent. I think about it all the time because on Good Friday, Christ was crucified and the people who followed him and believed in him and loved him and received love from him and saw him do things that no one had ever done before and no one has done since were devastated. They were crushed, right? I mean, even though he had told them again and again, three days, I will rise. They had no idea what that meant. How could they? How could anybody know what that was going to mean? So at that moment, when they thought things were blackest, they were actually on the verge of the greatest miracle in human history. And I know this from personal experience at the time in my life when I thought I was buried in a, a dark hole from which I would never arise. I thought everything was the worst. I was, in fact, about 10 feet away from seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I sometimes want to go back to that kid and smack him in the face and saying, you know, you're sitting here thinking of killing yourself, but in fact, you're there. You made it. You've done it, you know, and, and the light is about to shine. Now, things are going to be rough this year, but I'm watching what's happening, and I see them rolling back. I see the left rolling back. I see wokeness collapsing. I see the arts collapsing. I see opportunity all around. And I know that they're trying to stop us. You know that the Stripe, which is the system that we can get payment on Substack, Spencer and I are doing this Substack about God called the New Jerusalem. And Stripe, for no reason whatsoever, has canceled our ability to get money for it, to have people subscribe give us pay subscriptions. And we've been fighting with them and we can't get anybody who speaks English. It was really, really difficult. It happened to libs of TikTok. Stripe did that too. And as we get to this election, more of this is going to happen. My my numbers, my followers on X haven't budged for weeks, which is ridiculous because I see them signing up, but they never budge because they are going to start to shut down voices now. And it's going to be real and they're going to call us conspiracy theories, theorists for pointing it out, but it's a real thing. They're going to shut people down. And so it's going to feel like, oh my God, this is the darkest thing ever. I don't know who's going to win the election. I don't know who's going to be in the election, to be absolutely honest with you. I think things are going to be a lot different than we think they are. But this is not the moment when everything is going to collapse around our ears. This is not, we're not at that point yet. And whether it is that moment or not, we still have to live the only lives we have. This is the only life on earth you get. This is it. You know, we, there may be a new heaven and a new earth and a new life, as I believe, but still, this is this life, and it's precious. It's, it's, it's beautiful, and you want it to be a beautiful life. And in that moment when of Good Friday, when people had lost all their faith, they needed to find out, as they would find out, that in fact all their faith was justified. All their faith was justified, but that didn't mean there wasn't going to be darkness. There weren't going to be periods of darkness. So 
I, I'm saying this because I know there are a lot of voices on the right that are furious and are racist. Last week, I did a, I thought, a really funny satire about the Black National Anthem. And most people got it. But there are a few voices in there that kind of responded with racism, like, you know, screw the blacks. And that's not what I was trying to say at all. What I was trying to say is, no, you, when black people are told we're going to play the black national anthem, or their response should be, I, we have a national anthem. It's the Star Spangled Banner. And that's the national anthem that guarantees the rights that we want. So when we say that we're not getting our rights, they're American rights. They're defended. They're given by God, but they're defended by America. That's why we respect the flag. That's why we stand for the national anthem. That's why there is no black or Jewish or Polish national anthem in America. We have one because we are one people made out of many people. So I'm saying the opposite of this because I know I know for a fact that living in hatred and reactionary hatred will make you miserable, right? You have to ask yourself, you know, all these people talk about like the Benedictine option, we're going to form our own communities. And, and there's, some, there's some good to that. That's another, a conversation for another day. But you are, the image of God is, is you, right? It's not Donald Trump. It's not somebody far off. It's not some rescuer who's going to come. It's you. And so you have to ask yourself, what are you doing with the image of God? Let's say you're a mom, right? And your baby's screaming, won't stop screaming. Your toddler's throwing tantrums. Your little boy is running around the house destroying things. And, you're, you know, it's, it's absolute chaos. What are you doing? Well, you're creating souls. And that's not going to make that chaos feel better. You're going to feel the frustration that every mom feels in that moment. Every mom has had that moment. Most dads have had that moment, too. But when you realize that what you're doing is, is magnificent, is, is so much greater than changing a diaper or making a meal or keeping a house clean, it's actually creating souls, beautiful new people. It's a very different thing, you know? Maybe, maybe you work the job where you... Uh, clean the bathrooms and the train station, and you don't feel like that's a job uh, that's a very, it's not a very high level, level job, but you're supporting a family. You're supporting yourself. You have the dignity of doing that work so that you can form yourself. Maybe you're a young person who has to do menial labor like I did before you can do the thing that you want to do like I did. And so you, you do that. You know, you take the work. I used to say this all the time when I was working jobs that were not that good. I used to say it's the work of my hands. It's the work of my hands. I may be driving a cab. I may be, you know, working on a construction site, but it's the work of my hands. And I'm going to take pride in it and take pride in what I'm doing. You know, when you can look at yourself and say, oh, I'm doing the work of God, even though it may be frustrating right now or dark right now, then the stuff that other people are doing that's so ugly, you can live with that because you're doing the important thing that you were actually made to do. And this is why immorality weakens you. When you let them hate make you hate people, when you let them, because they say white people stink, white people stink, white people stink, we're going to be unfair to white people, and you start to say, oh, yeah, well, black people stink. When you get to that, then you don't have the same pride because you're not the same person. You're not actually exercising the image of God and and enlightening the image of God. That anger is not going to help you. So, you know, I I understand, you know, people uh, hit me on on my son all the time, and uh, they say, well, homosexuality is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin is fine, but if your Christianity consists of condemning gay people, do you think your life is going to be joyful? You know, I, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going to happen. If it, 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 I believe that Christ is the way and the truth and the life, but if my religion consists of condemning people who don't accept Christ, is my life going to be joyful? I don't think so. You know, I was talking about this Substack, the New Jerusalem, which I'm 
extremely proud of. I, when I'm seeing us do, my, my son and I, the letters we're writing are, I, I'm shocked by what they are. And one of the things I talked about in one of my letters was I talked about the fact that they used to call Christianity the way. And when you think of it that way, it really changes what you, how you understand it. All the, the moral orders, like don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, they stop being like sort of don't be naughty or the sky daddy will punish you. And they become disciplines of the soul that teach you about the reality of other people, which is the beginning of love. That's how you learn to love is by learning that other people are different. Other people have other sins than your sins. And you're going to love them in that sin at that same moment. You're going to find out, you know, the same thing is true of charity. The poor you have always with you. You're not solving the problems of the poor by giving charity. You're teaching yourself that other people are more important than that coin you're grabbing in your hand. The least popular of Christ's commandments, judge not. And yes, he did say it. And yes, he did mean it. It's a condemning the sins of others. Don't advance you in your, in your struggle to become the image of God inside you, you know? And, and communion is part of the way too, taking the, the, bread and wine and understanding that it becomes the body of Christ and understanding that everything we're doing, every single thing we're doing is about God. The way is a way of seeing. And what you're trying to see is you're trying to see what God sees when he treats the good and the bad alike, when he shines his sun on the, on the just and the unjust alike. And what Christ said is, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And joy isn't happiness. Joy is gusto and the, the thing thinking, yes, I'm back at my job, which is so important because I'm creating souls, because I'm feeding a family, because I'm doing work that gives me dignity by supporting me, because I'm loving somebody in my life, because I'm giving them that love. That's where the, the joy comes from. It's, it's the vitality of living. Don't let these guys take it away from you. I know who they are. I see who they are. I'm not blinded to the, the wickedness in our country right now. I'm not being, I'm not being Pollyanna. I'm not saying it's not there, but do not let them infuse their hate in you do not let them destroy your joy in living. And if you, if that is happening to you, do what the wise men did in the Bible. Go home by another way, all right? Ask yourself, what am I doing with my life? What does my life mean? What does the work of my life mean? And focus on that because we're going into rough waters and we want to come through it in the image of God. The time to join Daily Wire Plus is here during our President's Day sale. President's Day is gone, but not the sale. Right now, get 30% off your Daily Wire Plus annual membership with code DW30 at checkout. Your Daily Wire Plus membership is your exclusive backstage pass to engaging conversations with the smartest and most trusted talent in America and all the other guys as well. It's your front row seat to the Daily Wire's upcoming hit movies and series like The Pendragon Cycle, Mr. Bertram, Snow White, and The Evil Queen, and more. More. It's your inside access to ad-free, uncensored news and opinions that truly matter to you. So why wait? This is your chance to experience it all and more for 30% off during our President's Day sale. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code DW30 at checkout. Clavin Clapbacks. This is Russia. This is China. This is what you've been reading about all your lives. And it's happening right here in our country. 
was cheerful. Clavin Clapax, both are spelled with a K. Clavin and Clapax at dailywire.com. Write in whether you agree with me or whether you're correct, and we will try and read your letter. This is from uh, MJ, dear Mr. Clavin. Recently in the backstage episode, Candace Owens asserted that women shouldn't vote because they're more emotional and less rational than men, and you agreed. I can see why many conservatives are coming to this conclusion since many young women are falling for wokeism and voting for liberal leaders and policies, but I think this reveals that society has failed in their moral education rather than being evidence that women are inherently irrational. Best regards, MJ. Well, I, 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 that's a perfectly good point, and I want to say first that when I say this, I'm half-joking, and the reason I say I'm half-joking is I believe the logic of America insists that women be able to vote, and the part in which I'm not joking is I do believe that women not only want to be taken care of, but need more taken care of because of children and because some of the things they do don't earn the money that that men can earn because they're spiritual things. They're more important in some ways than the things we pay people for, right? We pay comedians a gazillion dollars. We pay cops thousands of dollars. You know, we don't really, capitalism actually doesn't judge whether something is worthy of the money it pays. It just gives you the money that you can get. And so what so that women need more protection, and so they vote for more protection. They vote for bigger government and less freedom. But the thing that is that they should be getting that protection and giving, surrendering some of that freedom to their husbands. And the problem is, is the failure of marriage. This is why Obama put out that thing that's now been scrubbed from the internet. Remember the life of, what was it, Julie? The life of somebody, some girl, where he was just going to, he, Barack Obama, was just going to give her things for her whole life. She didn't need a husband. She just needed the government to give her things. That's why they want to break up marriage. This is what Karl Marx said. He said, we've got to get women out of the home because the home is a bulwark against the great state, which is going to save us all. And, and so when marriage falls apart, women's votes become worse than useless. And so that's the problem. And it is a a really big problem. And if there were no women voters, there'd be no Democrat presidents. I mean, every Democrat president was elected in some sense by women. I think there may be one exception in that, but I'm not sure. But so that's the thing that I'm saying, and I'm saying it half jokingly. I don't actually believe that women should lose their votes, but I do think it, it's, We've lied so much about what women are and what men are, and we've told people that if you don't agree with the lies, you're a bad person. And that's a very crippling thing that's happened to our society. You know, I see these poor women dressing like, uh, you know, like hookers and wondering why they don't, they're not happy and wondering why they don't have the lives they want. And I think that those women are going to vote badly. They're going to vote for more government. We're going into member block. Become a member today, and then you can have your block because you like blocks. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Even I don't know what I'm talking about. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. If you have not subscribed, sorry, you're done for. It's Clavenlessness time. But the rest of you come to member block.